Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of over 240,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of production and broadcasting costs for The Modern Architect. KZSU, Stanford University's FM radio station broadcasting across the Bay Area on 90.1 FM and across the world at kzsu.org. Thank you, Eris. For our guest today, we are excited to welcome Christian Douglas. Christian is an award-winning landscape designer, licensed contractor, and urban farmer. For over 22 years, he's created beautiful and productive outdoor spaces. That's an understatement. Combining his formal training in classical design and his passion for sustainable architecture and agriculture, Christian has created innovative landscapes in his native England, Jordan, Nepal, Australia, and throughout the United States with food at the heart. Christian also co-owned a design and fine gardening company in the UK for 12 years, winning awards at the prestigious Chelsea Flower Show. For more information, feel free to visit Christian dash douglas.com again that's christian dash douglas.com hello christian we're really honored and excited to have you on the modern architecture thank you very very much hi tom thank you very much for having me i'm very excited to be here with you today thank you oh thank you thank you well you know, we we like to start our show off with uh you know, a quote, a prayer, mm-hmm. a mantra, an axiom that you have. And I'd love to hear it because before we got on the show, you talked about it and thought it might be a little too lengthy. But no, I, it's I it's know. your show and I'd and love to hear it. So please share it. Absolutely. You're going to let me roll with this one. Thank you, Tom. Yeah, this is a favorite. Uh, George Bernard Shaw, playwright, A Splendid Torch, which some, some listeners may have heard of before. This has been very close to me, all parts of this quote from George, which is very profound for me. And I feel like it is a thread that just weaves in everything I do on a, on a daily basis and with my, my career now as well. So um, I'll just start by reading that now, Tom. Okay, a splendid torch. This is the true joy in life, the being used for a purpose recognized by yourself as a mighty one, the being a force of nature instead of a feverish, selfish little clod of ailments and grievances complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. I am of the opinion that my life belongs to the whole community, and as long as I live, it is my privilege to do what, do for it whatever I can. I want to be thoroughly used up when I die, for the harder I work, the more I live. I rejoice in life for its own sake. Life is no brief candle for me, It is a sort of splendid torch which I have got hold of for the moment and I want to make it burn as brightly as possible before handing it on to future generations. That's it. It was a long one. You asked for it. Speechless. (laughs) Yes. Almost speechless for this. Yeah. Christian, I noticed so much in your work and you know I was uh, complimenting you so much and it's so sincere, your work and what you do. 
how and why and why does it matter to put so much soul into your work? Hmm. I think purpose for me is probably the most important thing that I've seeked my entire life. And I think it's changed as I've got older and matured and become more established in my personal life and in my career. But I feel like having a purpose has always been the driver for me. And the minute that I do not have that purpose, then I need to move on. I know that there's something else calling me um, as part of what I would refer to as my service path. That's ultimately what what it comes down to is, is finding a service path where I can be, as you know, George puts it here, as belongs to the whole community and to do whatever I can for it. And so in England, where I started my business, we had a very successful business. We grew a very successful business in the south of England and near London. And we grew up, we grew our business with 25 people. I had two business partners. We were doing large country estates. We worked um, in royal residences. We were at the Chelsea Flower Show. We, we accomplished a lot in a short period of time. And I think in the end, it wasn't, it was for 12 years. The business is still very successful. It's still going. Um, I left and I just needed something more. I felt that I had accomplished a great deal there in terms of architecturally, in terms of design, understanding design, working on beautiful historic homes, but there just needed to be more. There was not enough of that purpose there for me or feeling like I was contributing to the greater good. And I think that's, that's what started this whole journey of how I've ended up here now today. That sense of purpose, is that, it, it go back as far as you can recall, is that always been a part of you, Christian's DNA, so to speak? Yeah, I think it has. When do you think, is there, is there any galvanizing moment or moments that you can recall where there was that sense of, uh, maybe you weren't able to articulate it because of your, your youth, but that sense of purpose in your life and what it is that you choose to do and choose to be? Yeah, I don't know. I can pinpoint one. I feel very fortunate. I was raised with very affectionate and supportive parents. And I think that they raised me to be kind and to be compassionate to other people. And I think I've just always had that. I, I, you know, I was sensitive when I was younger and I was just very sensitive to other people around me. And I think I've always just been someone who is very aware of my surroundings I've always had a very deep connection to the natural world and the environment, which is no surprise why I ended up, you know, landscape design. And so, yeah, I'm just sensitive. I pick up on frequencies of things, of people, of, of, the, of my local environment. And I think that that makes me, yeah, just more attuned. And I think it, it makes me kind of more, a more full person because of it. That affection, support, and that kindness, and now I'm seeing it's, it's reflective in all of of your works. Mm-hmm. So you it sounds it sounds and appears and is really your essence in every landscape and every project you do. I mean there's there's a signature now that I look at your work and I've seen great mm-hmm. landscape designers and uh, and I love their work. However, there's definitely a signature to yours that mm-hmm. it's not like there's your name there, but that signature, right. have you ever thought of that? That there is a place where you knew that you touched it? That's a wonderful question. I've always kind of prided myself on not having a style. I feel like every single one of my designs is a pure co creation between myself and often the homeowner. You know, we work in largely residential. And it really is a coming together of, of kind of minds and thoughts and memories. And I feel like, I feel that. 
I'd like to think that I don't have a particular style because I like to be able to work and move like water through different situations and challenges depending on site and client needs. But I do feel like what is very important to me, probably part of the, my former English training, is having gardens that have a heartbeat, a pulse. I often feel, I can feel very kind of unsatisfied or unmoved by certain landscapes, particularly more contemporary landscapes. And I, there's something that's very important to me that there is a, a certain life force to all of our projects, that it is in motion constantly. And there is just activity and things happening. It's alive. It's, that's the pulse. That's the heartbeat. And it's somewhere for me personally that that's where I would want to spend time. And it kind of dates back to the old English, a little bit the cottage garden, but also the secret garden. Some of those lovely old tales and books of the magic of exploring and curiosity and, and kind of wandering through, uh, yeah, just a hidden space and surprises along the way and just different plants, different sensations, different feelings. So that's, that's what is most important to me. And that can be played through a Mediterranean um, style. It can be played through more of an English, you know, European style. It can be in any one of the above. I feel excited exploring all different styles, which I've had to do a lot more living in California. So that, that would be, I would say, the only signature thing that I like to leave as a kind of resonance when people have enjoyed the space or looking at the space. Excellent. This is The Modern Architect, KZSU Stanford, 90.1 FM. We're talking today with Christian Douglas, an award-winning landscape designer, licensed contractor, and urban farmer. For more information, feel free to visit christian-douglas.com. Again, that's christian-douglas.com. That word you used, co-creation. Share with your audience today what that means to you, that being a co-creator. I feel when we're working in such personal spaces, personal environments, the home environment, I feel that it's very important that we are, we are just good listeners as designers. We have to listen intently to the people living there, the people that we're working with. And I feel fortunate that a lot of the people, the clients I work with, they have a, a creative spirit to them as well. And they have a lot of input and things that are, they're excited about too. And, and, and I feel like my job is to really be a channel for a lot of their ideas as well as my own. And that's how I start every single project. I start it with a long conversation, a personal conversation. We get deep in, in some cases, you know, where we talk about memory, history, family. I just really try and get to the kind of kernel of what excites them about landscape, what excites them about plants, what excites them about coming home to their place and sharing with others and enjoying that. And I feel like that's my goal is to kind of extrapolate that information and get that out of them. And then together we, it's my job to organize all of those thoughts and ideas and dreams and wishes and, and put it into form. So that's how I see myself more as the, in in the co-creating way so that at the end of the project the client has been often quite involved and i just guided guided them and their their dreams and wishes really as much as anything else how about discovery how much does discovery Mm -hmm. also play in that creation for you discovery of new ideas new ideas even just uh of space of spaces yeah 
Well, you know, as as you know, we're a, we, you know as we as we coin our phrase, we are food forward designers. So of course, food is central to all of our designs. That's very important to me personally, and you know the team we work with. So we always start off there, and I think that often starts to shape and arrange the spaces. And in terms of discovery of finding where we can grow different foods in a manner which is kind of integrated with the rest of the landscape, that's the part that we're most excited about. And and I feel like we're really exploring those avenues and options now. So choosing different plant species, but using them for multiple purposes, and then just opening that up to the main frame kind of architecture palette, and then just filling in the gaps around that with other things. So I feel like the food takes a very central part, as, as you know from seeing our work in all of our projects. Yeah. With the food, do you see more of it now than, say, several years ago, where, where oh, yeah. commercial and residents, private res- residents, are interested in going, how, do we, how can we not yeah. only nourish ourselves, but also provide a, a beautiful space? Yeah, well, certainly since February, Tom, okay. um, March. <laughs> I mean, we've 3X, if not 5X, um, inquiries since then. And, and it's largely, it's interesting, people come to us now primarily, or they understand what, what we're trying to do here, um, which is what I started you know, eight years ago. It was harder to get people to understand eight years ago. I've been trying to build portfolio and kind of explore food in landscape and how the integration of architecture and agriculture kind of come together. And I think that we've been modeling that. And that's been my goal for the my sort of ten-year goal was how do we model that? How do we create portfolio? How do we show people that we can do this? And I think with everyone being locked down at home and not being able to shop and of course that just got everybody thinking differently and thinking more responsibly and thinking more about the future, which is kind of our goal for our business. And that's where what what we how why we set this up in the first place was to was to really do that so yes there's been a huge uptick since covid began and i'm anticipating anticipating that continuing as well so we were just primed and ready to go for it i mean the business the genesis of the business really was environmental catastrophe which we're also facing at some point and certainly difficulties as we're experiencing so that was why I began, why that, the business of food and design and architecture and growing food in our environments close by to us rather than, you know, further afield, broad acre agriculture. It was how do we grow more food in our communities and distribute that food on a smaller scale, but for, for more people. So we, we have more diversity and more resilience. And I feel that's what's slowly happening. And I think people are waking up to that. And COVID's been a little bit of a kick in the bum for that. And I think that we're ready to kind of just keep exploring that. We're just excited that people are kind of, there's an awakening to it. And, and, and we just are excited to work with those people that, that, that want to kind of do more of that. And that awakening, yeah. do you have a process or is there a, a formal process or a mental process that you go through when you, as you said earlier, get to the kernel of what it is that your client is really expecting yeah that's a great question but there is so we have two arms we have the backyard farm company which deals primarily with its mission driven to empower people to grow food so we work on a whole scale of projects from one planter box to a huge kitchen garden the architecture side of the business really does focus more on kind of yes that interface between the, the the food and the architecture and i feel like how that typically works with us is first of all you know finding out people's relationship already to food and how excited they are about food. Do they cook a lot? 
you know, it's important to, to find for me where their connection to food comes from. I can tell you most Italian people that call us, it comes from their grandmother making tomato sauce. You know, there's always a memory connected to it. And that's why I try and drill down in my initial meetings. Where does this love for, for, for growing food or desire to grow food come from? And for others, they're just, you know, maybe their great-grandparents used to, or their grandparents used to grow food. They remember having some tomatoes when they were younger. And, it, and I find that it, through our analysis and kind of observation over several years, I found that this information just of your, your memory comes out much later in life. And I feel like people, when they get 40 up, then all of a sudden they have some reverence and these, 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 these memories that they're connecting to. And they have a fear of growing food. They have a black thumb, whatever. Um, a lot of people are afraid or paralyzed by that. So that's why we offer the support. And we try and integrate food in a way that is, that is easy for people. And that's our goal is engagement and building a, a reverence for, for their children and our next generation. Because that's what's really important to me a long hundred year arc would be how do we continue exposing younger children and families together with food, not a production scale. We're not looking to kind of grow food for everybody, but even just a small amount, just to have that exposure from a young age. And we often find the children, you know, nine, 10 plus they go off, they're into iPads, they're into digital, they've gone. And maybe when they're 45 too, and they're having children, they circle back to it. So there's lots of layers to it. There's lots of layers to kind of our connection to food. And I feel like we're able to tap into that through integrating it more into our landscapes and bringing it forward in the sort of design hierarchy. You know, it's, it's fascinating when you, uh, you just said that there's a memory connected to. Oh, yeah. Can you share, uh, you know, you may not have to name names, but uh, an example yeah. or in a story of that memory. Of, of a yeah. client or people you work with? Yeah, let me think. Um, I just think it's actually, I can, I can certainly share. This is basically how I got here, Tom. Okay. I, I, my father used to grow food. He still grows food. I remember being given a carrot when I was five years old from our community garden in Oxford, England. And that stuck with me forever. And I think that now even that carrot is, is kind of this emblem for me of, I circled back to it. I went off. I did my wild, crazy stuff through my teens. I traveled the world. I, you know, I had a career. was not interested in growing food. I was still a designer, but I was not interested in food that way. And then it kind of came back to me and that, and that love of it. And I just see this repeating. Um, a friend in Sonoma, a, a client rather, in Sonoma, the same. Father is an Ita Italian, actually a professor at Stanford. And he grew up in Italy. And it was, it was tomato, tomato sauce, sauce. And now it's literally just coming back up through the layers. And now I see their uh, four-year-old, he's out there now harvesting. And it's just being passed on. That legacy is being passed on. And there's nothing more that excites me when I see that lineage passing that on through. And I feel, in, in, in essence, that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to create these connections again that we, we've certainly lost over the last couple of decades and I just have a belief in me that in our DNA, we're all farmers and we've all farmed. We've all grown food somewhere down the line. And I feel it's just a way of peeling back those layers and getting to that and then being supported through that. So you're having more successes than failures. And that's what we offer with the Backyard Farm Company. This is wonderful, Christian. This is also The Modern Architect on KZSU, Stanford 90.1 FM. Our uh, public service announcement is... Uh, 
happily going to keenusa.org. And Keen is where kids enjoy exercise now. Imagine a world where uh, all youth have equal opportunities for recreation, fitness, and friendship, regardless of their abilities. Keen's mission is to empower youth with disabilities by providing free, non-competitive, one-to-one programs of exercise, fitness, and fun, led by volunteer coaches. Their vision at Keen is to foster confidence, self-esteem, and community inclusion for youth with disabilities, strengthening communities through education, of volunteers and providing families with respite and a supportive network. For more information, their website is keenusa.org. Again, keen, K-E-E-N, USA.org. We're talking today with Christian Douglas, award-winning landscape designer, licensed contractor. And you can find more information on his website at christian-douglas.com. Again, christian-douglas.com. Christian. I'm going to circle back to the um, gardens with a heartbeat and a pulse. Mm-hmm. Describe that. I'll stop there. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a funny one, isn't it? I, I, it's a feeling, right? It's a felt sense often. It's not necessarily something intellectual or it's not just a piece of, you know, enjoying some craftsmanship of something, which of course I'm also obsessed with. It's really creating a feeling so it's it's something which touches you in in many different ways that encourages you and 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 you want to spend more time there. I mean, I feel to me it's very natural that if we're surrounded by other life and life force, things that are pushing, that are growing, that are buzzing around. We do a lot of work with pollinator species and, and uh, nectar species. So you know, moving into a space or walking into a space that feels alive and feels you it's not just a row of evergreen shrubs that look nice architecturally but they offer really no other service to the environment i feel it's no, it's no surprise that as soon as you start adding in flowers which is very british of me because we do love our flowers in england so i definitely feel like that is i have a proclivity towards that over here and a lot of the modern aesthetic here is is not about that it's more about texture um, from what i've observed so I'm a big flower fan, and I think that all of that comes together in a, in a, in a composition where, because we also have a lot of water on our projects, so we often put in water features so we can feed the habitat too. So there's movement, there's energy moving, and I think even in the shapes and the lines and how we draw it and how we get you to the different areas, there's always something along the way. Um, that's how we use food, a lot of perennial food species. So not your vegetables, but your fruits and berries and culinary herbs that are permanent planting, we'll sprinkle those in along the way too. So you'll be walking along a path and you'll be able to harvest a wild strawberry, a, you know, whatever else it is. Maybe there's just a a lemon sort of tucked in there, an old mission fig tree or something, but there's always something to kind of marvel at or kind of engage with. And that's what gets people outdoors. And that's what gets homeowners out there exploring, finding things, particularly children, which is a strong emphasis for us, our future generation of leaders, getting them out there, harvesting, picking food, foraging. We have a wonderful client that we've transformed this old sterile house from concrete and just olive trees doing nothing to this just wonderland with creeks kitchen gardens we have we have a steel moon gate that the kids kind of had to walk through to get to the creek and it's like this sort of portal into this other world and and in there are the other wild strawberries in there are these kind of mint 
herbs, guavas, berries. And they've all, I've watched them in this last year since we installed it. They're, they're just all expert harvesters and foragers now. And they just, in fact, we have to stop them. They keep harvesting everything before it's actually ready. But that's a good sign, right? That to me is a successful project. And that's one which we just want to keep exploring with concepts and ideas around that and, and, and increasing engagement. How about in your, even in your, your travels, in your, your daily travels, do you see space where you, you just think or feel, oh, what I could do with this? You, uh, just, in gen- just even public spaces? Just w- yes, simple walk oh, yeah, to like the library. Everything, like everywhere? Yeah. Like everywhere? <laughs> like everywhere, yes. Well, the thing is this, Tom, I, you know, I studied, I went around the world for three or four years studying agriculture, sustainable agriculture, systems design, you know, and so I've seen a lot in a lot of hyper-arid deserts. I've seen, I've lived with communities and I've seen the kind of condition of our, of our um, agricultural system, which will eventually fail us to some degree. And I feel like building that more resilience was something I was very impo- uh, it, that was very important to me when I came out of that study. But I really needed to do design because that is what is first and foremost for me. I'm just, I'm a lover of beauty. I'm a lover of architecture. That was, I had, that had to be my driver. But underneath all of that, I didn't want to become a farmer. That was very clear to me. I thought, do I want to become a farmer? I don't want to become a farmer. But so now as I mix design with architecture, within, uh, with agriculture, within our communities, I look at every single space as an opportunity for growing food, like every space, every empty lot, every kind of public walking area, any park. Yeah, it's just nonstop. You're constantly thinking about different design ideas for just integrating more of this into our built environment. It's, it's crucial. It's crucial. And I think we, we, as designers, have a responsibility, as landscape architects, designers, we have a responsibility to be doing more food and using the water budget that we're using on our landscapes more from into production from... At the moment, we're big consumers, right? So how do we go from consumption to production? And that's kind of what we're all about here too. We're going to be irrigating something. We're going to be, you know, and we have to be sensible of that too. But you use a lot less water irrigating food on your own property than you do in the Central Valley, which you then have to ship hundreds of miles to our grocery store. It's 10x more water buying your food from Whole Foods. Oh, yeah, it's it's a no-brainer. I mean, by the time you've harvested that lettuce in Bakersfield, they ship, it's, it could be an organic lettuce, organic or not. You ship that, that, they open pivot irrigation, everything's water from above, high evaporation rate. It goes in the back of a truck filled with water to keep it cool before they get back to the processing plant. They then wash it three times. We all like the three washed lettuce, right? And then goes to the store. Then they have the little misters on it. Then you take it home, then you wash it again. And all that refrigeration as well from shipping it backwards and forwards, you know, you can still buy it from an organic grocery store. It doesn't, I mean, it's, it's not about the organics. It's really just about that consumption. And so, whereas at home, if you're growing food under a drip system, it just is at least 10x less water. So a lot of people said to me during the drought years, even though we're kind of still in the drought year, we don't want to grow food this year because we don't want to use water. Well, it's actually the opposite. You should absolutely be growing food during a drought in your in your environment there is still water available if you do it sensibly and you plant correctly and i just think the problem with this story that we have about let's not use lots of water in our landscapes is that you're still going to go to the grocery store and buy a lettuce you're still going to buy your carrots you're still going to buy all this food well you're just using water that has come from someone else's well you're drinking from someone else's well in bakersfield taking up their water and then you're eating it here in the Bay Area. 
saying, that's fine by us because, you know, we're not using our own local resource. We're using somebody else's. And there's a disconnect there to me. And so I feel like that's a huge deal for me and, and why we're doing what we're doing to localize, take care of our, our local resources more within our communities by doing things like this and, and not decentralizing, ag- you know, monoculture, agriculture, but contributing to it ourselves, taking responsibility and of course, supporting local organic farms. Cause of course, often they are doing a great job too. So it's supplementing that it's not taking over from it. Yeah. Christian, what would you like to share with your audience today as we uh, commence your show that we may not have touched on? I don't know. I think we covered some good ground there, Tom. I think I think just the thing that I'd like to kind of reiterate is just thinking more about us becoming producers within our local environments rather than just consumers in, in terms of landscape and in terms of landscape design. I'm so thrilled when I see other architects and designers putting food in. And I just would love to see more of that and all of us exploring the different options for doing that, how we can do that better and better as a design community in the coming years. Christian, it's been an absolute honor, thrill. This is just fabulous. Thank you very, very much. I Thank hope you, you, Tom. I hope you would come on again soon. It is an absolute joy. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. You've been listening to The Modern Architect. I'm Tom Diaro. Our guest today has been Christian Douglas. Christian is an award-winning landscape designer, licensed contractor, and urban farmer. For over 22 years, he's created beautiful and productive outdoor spaces, combining his formal training in classical design and his passion for sustainable agriculture. Christian has created innovative landscapes in his native England, Jordan, Nepal, Australia, and throughout the United States with food at the heart. For more information, feel free to visit christian-douglas.com. Again, christian-douglas.com. Join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect, engineer, designer, or civic leader committed to positive and sustainable cities, communities, and lives. Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of over 240,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of production and broadcasting costs for The Modern Architect.